it's not about what we want. It's what the consumer wants, right? So if a consumer wants something in 10 seconds or five seconds or 10, whatever number of seconds, it doesn't matter. They want something quick. You can get them something really quick at the range. And then the people who want to spend a little bit more time and go down in there and answer more questions, they'll, they're motivated. They're self-selecting into that process. You're giving them that option to go further. They want that single price offer. Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on? Podcast Nation is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason, where I get to talk about anything and everything I want to talk about when it comes to the automotive industry. Today, I have a very special guest. In fact, I've been looking forward to this conversation all week long. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous. I'm going to... Can I call you Insta famous, like online famous? Because your videos are great, man. Oh, right. well, thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll take any descriptor you want to throw on there. All right, we're, there we go. We're going to call him Insta famous, one and only Mr. Matthew Davis, CMO of Trade Pending. Matthew, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, dude. This is going to be fun. Like I said, I, I, I know we talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm trying to like get some ideas where we're going to jam about. Um, we, me, and you connected on LinkedIn because uh, I just. You know, I'll be honest, I, I dig your swagger. It's just, there we go. I, I dig. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's so weird. Anyways, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but no, dude, I saw some of your videos online and I was just like, you know, you just look like you have fun. And uh, the content was fun. Um, and I've been in your shoes where you've done some of those like cool, fun, like in dealership videos. And when, I, when, I'm, when I'm watching you do those videos, what's going through my head is the 52 takes it took just to get the salesperson to say what you got them to say. I know everybody else sees the one take and it's wonderful, but is that normal? Is it, is it what, maybe not. Oh, we're, we're a one take shop. Oh, come on. Are you really? Oh yeah. I'm okay. not messing around. I'm so jealous, man. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta have the mojo to extract out the best Here stuff you go. can on the first take. I mean, maybe sometimes there's two takes, but no, it's yeah, we're pretty much one take. It's that swagger. All right. Hey, Matthew, um, appreciate you coming to the show. All right. Uh, for everybody out there that's watching and listening and maybe don't know much about you or kind of how you got started in this industry, I love kicking off these podcasts with a little origin story. A, because honestly, it's probably because I'm just fascinated, right? Because like no one just wakes up one day and goes, yeah, automotive, let's do it. <laughs> you know? So, so let's kick it off there, man. Uh, how did you get started in this crazy little world that we call the automotive industry? I'll give you the quick tour. So my first job was weaving and selling baskets to my parents' friends. I probably did that when I was 10 years old. Uh, for, from there, I held a variety of jobs of like, you know, I was a pool guy for a few summers. I worked at a plant nursery for a few summers. In college, I started a window washing and pressure cleaning business. I sold that after five years, sold mortgages for a few years, and then I sold software for a decade. Um, so a lot of time in sales. And then I did a, a startup uh, where I was knocking on businesses' doors every single day, just cold calling in person. And we did everything right with that, but make money. Uh, so then after that, I switched over to software marketing. I've been doing that for about a decade. And my previous company, I'd basically burned out over there. I was the chief marketing officer over there. And it was in a, a pretty spicy uh, industry, location data, people's location data, and just a lot of press. Like when the Washington <laughs> Post is asking you for an interview about how you're a terrible company for stealing people's data. I'm like, ah, I'm out. Yes. 
And uh, I knew Bryce Englert, CEO of Trade Pending, um, and left on great terms with the other company uh, and started consulting with them probably September four years ago. Uh, I consulted with a few companies and uh, Trade Pending got the rose, right? So it was... I just immediately like enjoyed the culture of the company. I didn't really know much about automotive mm-hmm. and now haven't been in it for four years. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Dude, it's four wild. years. <laughs> I mean, talk about a time getting into the business. Um, um, I've been in along for a little more than four. You can add a two in front of that four, and that's about how long I've right? been in the, in the business. Um, but do talk about, you picked a time. Um, what would you get three, four minutes before the three or four minutes before the world imploded? Like, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't pick the time. The time picked me. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. So yeah, uh, it was, you know, I guess I had about five months, September, October. Five months. Yeah. And then, yeah, then the COVID hit and then we start working from home and there you go. Sort of it has brand a new it, job, brand new yeah. industry. And now you're working from home <laughs> five months yeah. into the job. And that lasted for about two months. And like, screw it, I'm coming into the trade pending world headquarters in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's a small office anyway, so I just I couldn't work from home. That's cool. That's cool. Well, hey, I'm glad, man, that you uh, decided to get into this industry. Just a pre warning, and any any of my listeners can attest to this as well. Uh, this industry will get into your skin, into your blood, and it is incredibly difficult to get out of. I have tried a couple times, and every time I think I'm out, they <laughs> suck me right back in. That's my best Godfather impression. That was horrible. Um, <laughs> but I, you know what? Okay, so let's. Let's start out the podcast, you know, there, because I think it's super fascinating to talk to people that haven't been in automotive. I mean, I take it for, I pretty much spent almost my entire career in automotive, right? So, you know, being able to talk to people that are relatively new to automotive and four years is still not new. That's a good amount of time. Um, but what were some of the things that maybe surprise you or you were, you know, maybe observant about going, that's interesting when you got into the automotive space, anything in particular? I'm just curious. Yeah, there's a handful of things. So one is just the environment of controlled chaos. Sometimes it's just chaos, but mostly it's controlled. You know, when you when we're going into dealerships and talking with our customers and and you just see the environment that's in, that's that's eye opening, right? It is just mm. it's nuts. And the people that thrive in that, I think it's the other thing I noticed, like they the ones that do really well, like you hear this all the time. It's a people business. Well, it totally is because you have to like people and you have to like the weirdness and the chaos. And that's part of what's so fun about it is the people, right? And you can see that come through in the videos that we're, we're putting out on social media that the people we get to talk to are just, they're, they're a good time. Um, but there's, there's definitely some weird stuff too that you're, <laughs> like, you're like, how is this still a thing, right? So, you know, when people are talking about book values and I know people don't use actual books anymore, but that's admittedly there's some bias coming in here because I work for a company that doesn't look at books. It's all retail data. Um, but like that seems weird and, you know, pricing retail values off a car and off of wholesale and instead of retail, that, that one's kind of weird to me. And the whole like third party lead business, like I can't, I get it, but that, that's also a weird one for me. just like, Oh my gosh, you're, you're paying a company for leads and then they're going out and using that money to compete with you for seo and sem and everything else and that's right like your head kind of explodes oh yeah i tell you the one that i'm always fun fascinated with this is the is the marketplaces right so so you pay a marketplace to post your vehicles 
And then that marketplace collects all of the data and retargeting information off of those and then resells it back to you as it's a brand new thing. Right. It's got to be, I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of people outside of the automotive space um, looking in. They're like, wow, what a racket. Um, <laughs> what a racket. Okay, so I got I to gotta, well, ask you, and I find rabbit holes, so I do apologize. There will be time okay. about rabbit holes. All right. How about language? Uh, because that's one thing I've been told a lot, uh, you know, the four letter words, the three letter acronyms and the very, very odd and unusual terms that we use for things in our industry. Did any of that surprise you? Uh, no, because, uh, marketers are some of the worst offenders at acronyms. Good point. Right. So I kind of came from that, you know, you got ABM and CRM and ICP and PLG and like, ah, shut up already. Can we just use real words? Um, so yeah, having to learn like VDP and SRP and I, uh, what, what, it wasn't a tough leap there on that one. Oh, B-backs, ups. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you a good one. Have you ever heard of a ham sandwich? Oh, no, I can't say that I have. Okay. So this is now I'm dating myself because still not a lot of people actually listening may not even know if you're new, relatively new, to, let's say if you've been in the business for, I think you gotta be in the business for at least over 10 years to know what a ham sandwich is. So a ham sandwich. So idea is you're, you're selling a car, right? And, and you bring a deal to your boss. And as you're handing this paper over, which is the worksheet and everything, the customer's information, you're like, boss, I got a ham sandwich, man. I hope you're hungry. And really what it means is this deal has got so much profitability and it's just like stuff falling out everywhere. Right. And it's just like, are you hungry boss? I got one for you. <laughs> I, some of the language, like I said, see, there you go. I gave you a new one. Now you know what a ham sandwich is. Perfect. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, let's, let's get into a little bit about trade pending. Right. Um, you know, because I, I like I'm very familiar with it, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody watching is very familiar with it. Um, so, so let's start there. You know, like what what does trade pending actually do? Let's let's kick it off there. Yeah, I'm gonna give you the nickel tour here and do let's my do best it. to stick to the facts here. So, uh, we've been in business since 2014. Uh, we're really known for um, our trade product, uh, and we, we kind of bucket them in a couple of groups there. So, you've got essentially website conversion products designed to get those high funnel shoppers that are just coming on your site for the first time, just need some quick information. They want to know what their trade in is worth. And so uh, we can give them a trade in range. We can give them a single price offer. We can give them a guaranteed offer. Those are our trade and offer products. I mean, go figure we named them that. Uh, we acquired auto APR last year uh, and that became our payments product. That's also website conversion that is designed to quickly get people information about what they can afford in the shop inventory by their monthly payment. Uh, then we've got another bucket of merchandising. Uh, so badges was actually the second product that we, that the company came out with and that was taking all that stuff that's uh, unique and interesting about a vehicle in its market and making that available. And that is, you know, like is how many vehicles are for sale locally? Is this a rare vehicle? Is it a popular engine? Is it a rare color? Um, and not just what, is it a good price or not, but um, how is this price compared to the other similar vehicles in the market with similar mileage? Yeah, how does it actually stack up, right? Right, right. Uh, uh, we stacked on top of that. It wasn't a tough leap. Uh, we added on an auto bio, which is uh, the most recent product. Uh, that we launched ourselves. And that just makes it really easy for consumers to get all that vehicle research in one spot. Uh, so that it's like, yep, hey, I want to see the Carfax, the window sticker, these attributes about the vehicle, everything in one simple to digest report. And then uh, we acquired SnapSell, 
about mm-hmm. a month ago. We can talk more about that later and, and, and specifically the reason. But if you kind of tie all this together, like it comes back to the mission, which is super simple, like simple automotive. That's our mission. And like, okay, right. great. Yeah, it's, it's a broad statement. What does that actually mean? It means for us, there's all this information over here on one side that consumers want and all this information over here that dealers have, right? And we want to make that, you know, bridge that gap, that communication gap between them. And we've done that historically with a lot of products that make it really easy for consumers to get that information. And with SnapSell, it made it really easy for dealers to communicate that information back and forth. It, you know, it's a video and communication platform. So that's the nickel tour. I hope I did okay there with not giving a, it was like a informational pitch and trying not to be a sales pitch. I, I'll turn that dial back as much as I can. But, but no, 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 actually we needed to do that because I actually think that ha- we had to, because it sets a stage, right? For what we're talking about today. And, you know, it's, it's cool knowing at what point in time you came into the industry and, you know, just all the changes that happened during COVID that are continuing happening. You know, we saw the, I don't want to call it the birth of digital retailing that was prior to it. But what we saw is the explosion, I guess, of digital retailing. And, and really what we saw during COVID was the death of a sales process, right? And the birth of buying options. And which, which I think was great because look, I, I, I'm, I come OG, you know, car sales. Like I was taught the 12 point walk around and, you know, how to make the customer keep the hood open when you're presenting. So you're maintaining control. Like, I mean, those are the kind of things like, you know, like get the customer on all fours. All right. So they can see how we actually, you know, what, you know, weld the subframe together, you know, me just. I'm silly learning stuff. so much new stuff right now. It's great. Silly, silly stuff. But, but the whole point was maintaining control. Boom, COVID happens. We have no control, all right? Uh, depending on your state or where you were at the time or even what country you were in, you may not even been able to open your doors. If you, you could, you may not have had any vehicles to actually even show them. Like it fundamentally changed everything. So finally, it put that final nail in the coffin of the sales process and it started an era of buying options or buying processes, right? And I think what, and this is what I'm, where I'm going with, because we got a chance to talk about this before we recorded today about CTAs and that's where I'm going with this. So the, that, that birth of that buying process was amazing, but the byproduct of that buying process was like 62 call to actions. I mean, I've seen websites now if like, and I, hey guys, I understand everyone watching and listening, here's what's gonna happen. They're gonna post something down at the bottom. It's a 62, Jason. Okay, fine, 14. Um, like, you know, right. you have everything, man, from, uh, buy, uh, see if it's in stock, um, uh, financing, get pre-approved, get totally approved get, you know, there's 14 different call to actions now. And it, it, it's silly. I'm not say silly, but Hey, I want to get your thoughts and opinions on this. Uh, I think you coined it the CTA wars when we were talking, which I think is yeah. a, great, a great way to, to coin it. So, um, I'd love to get your thoughts, man. Like. Is it too much? Is it too little? How do we fix this? It's another one of these weird oddities of automotive. Yeah, it's too much. And you're right. The context of the pandemic, right? The importance of the online showroom, like, ah, we have to Mm -hmm. like everything work online. And then you've got dealers saying, yeah, we got to cut budgets because no one's coming in to buy cars, like right at the beginning. And so everyone's like, all the vendors are like two things like, Ooh, we'll help you out with the cost. And 
by the way, you should use our buttons instead of everybody else's. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> right? So it's like, oh, it's really important for for us to be able to to prove our worth. And so you're getting like, hey, like you need to point digital retailing tools. Anytime somebody says trade or payment, like send them into that digital retailing process or send them into a chat or whatever it's going to be, right? Whether or not that's the right user experience. And then you've got dealers essentially caught in the middle, like after a few months, like, hey, we're selling cars again. Like, what the hell is going on? Why is one rep from this company telling me to put this button on the other rep saying something else? I don't have any, and then I'm what's going on. This is how you end up with the 36 buttons on the website. Plus pop-ups. <laughs> okay, come on, Matthew, you have to admit, coming from the outsider, coming into the automotive, did you know that the pop-up was still a thing? <laughs> like, yeah, that's a that's a tough one, man. And like when you have to like X out three different things to three, it's literally have, a three, yeah. right. You have a pop up offer. It's tough. And this little credit credit widget comes out of nowhere and asks, "Do you want to get approved?" And then this little you know long, young lady pops up out of the right corner and says, "Do you want to talk?" Um, <laughs> like, dude, it's it's full on overload. So it is. And and I honestly, I don't think much of the industry is actually probably going to disagree with this. That's actually pretty cool. Most of the times when I'm saying something, I usually get a fair amount of people to disagree, but I don't, I don't, I don't think many people are going to disagree that there's just too much out there. So I would love to kind of get your thoughts on what it should be. And again, no wrong or right answer, but I'm curious. Yeah. And so I'll, I'm, I'm certainly biased here. And I think you have to, if you're listening to this, like, yeah, this dude works for a company that puts buttons on websites. I can't trust a word he says, but so Here's what I'll say. Like, yeah, I think the, the vendors are mostly to blame here. Uh, mm -hmm. And that, that includes us, right? Um, but it, it comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of where buyers are in their shopping journey, right? So there is a percentage of people who want to buy a car online. It's a small percentage, right? And it's going to grow. I, I mean, it's inevitable. But yes. today it's very small. There's a percentage of people that want to chat on the website, right? It's a, it's a percent. You need a chat tool. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of people come into a, to a site, they're there for the first time, they're early in their buying process, that's 80, 90%. And so the way that we start to uh, de-escalate the CTA wars is, is a lot on the vendor part to be responsible in their consultation and their advice to their dealers and to say like, yeah, hey, if you, if you want to send somebody into a chat, call the chat. If yes. you want to send somebody into a process to buy a car online or build a deal, call the button that, but don't take somebody and say, Hey, get your trade value in 10 seconds and then launch them into a 15 minute process. It just, <laughs> it, it kills your website performance. It kills your lead flow. And then all that money you were spending to drive traffic to your website, you're just crushing your return on ad spend because those people are abandoning it. Well, you know, what I also think it kind of comes down to is uh, the intent behind the CTA, right? So, you know, if, if our intention is to provide a better experience in the sense of information and I press a button because it provides me that information, great. If the intent behind the CTA is simply to collect the first name, last name, and email address so that your marketing or widget company or whatever it is can tell you how many leads you got, by the way, we could have a whole nother podcast on the word leads. I'm I, I'm a stickler for syntax and language, and I can't actually I, I actually hate the word. Yeah, really. marketers will get riled up about what you call a lead these days, man. Right? We need to settle down. Well, well, and, and and I think we look at these CTAs. It's like, what is the purpose behind that button? Is that That's purpose, right? Is that purpose? Uh, is it selfish? 
and in the sense of all I want is their first name, last name, email address, so I can stick them through my BDC and uh, I can remarket to them 52 times over the next 30 days and, and they'll beg them to come buy a vehicle from me? Or is the intent to better the experience uh, through either providing them information or an exchange of information, right? Like, hey, um, if you give us that, I can give you this. Like, you tell me a little bit more about your car, I can give you a little bit more about this. So I, I'm with you, I'm 100% with you what you said. I just think for anybody out there watching and listening to even further stress test your CTAs is ask yourself, is it selfish for me or is there actual exchange in value in that CTA? Otherwise get rid of the damn thing, just get rid of it. You know, I, I'll give you a funny one. Uh, so. The CTA wars for me started in 2009, all right? And there was a website provider, and I won't say their name, but everybody knows who it is, is they came out with this magical button. It was called ePrice. Oh, yeah. Whoa, I don't <laughs> oh, man, this was revolutionary, all right? And, you know, and, and I think from that point, every other CTA that's kind of been built off has kind of been chasing that same kind of thing, right? So you had this e-price, guess what? There was never an e-price ever, <laughs> you know? So they, they put this green button, and by the way, it was green. Every other, it, every other button was a different color, except there was just this, or the same color, except for this one, it was green, it was called e-price. You hit it, you put your information, and then you sit there looking at your email, you know, curiously in anticipation that they're gonna send you something. And they didn't. <laughs> right. It was disappointing. Right. And then I think it's, that's kind it of still is. It is. And I think that's what it does is is now what does the customer think when we put those CTAs out there? Right. Like are is this again another one just one of those traps or am I actually gonna get information out of that? Right. Uh, okay, so let's go going into CTAs, now we can go into digital retailing. Because I know you brought it up and I want to kind of circle around and go a little farther down that rabbit hole because well, anybody that watches this show knows I got all kinds of thoughts and opinions on digital retailing. And, and, I, and I was very early on in digital retailing um, with some of the first companies prior, way before COVID. And, and, I, and again, I still think the process is a great process, but it's, it, it is a process, not a tool. I think our industry looks at it as, as being a tool that sets a process rather than the way around. Anyways, I'll shut up. I want to get your thoughts on digital retailing. Yeah, first I gotta set the stage here, and like trade pending is we have zero digital retailing products. We do not do digital retailing, right? So sometimes people will can feel like, hey, I can get a trade in estimate, I can get a, I can get a payment quote. Like we we don't do digital retailing. We have solutions that provide little bits of that, but we're designed really to convert website traffic into leads and to communicate back with customers. So that being said, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not surprising anybody here when I say that, you know, the promise has not been met. Right. <laughs> and that's not necessarily the fault of the technology, right? There's, you know, certain limitations, regulations, laws that just prevent that from happening. Um, I firmly believe in the promise of digital retailing and being able, you know, to execute that transaction online. I love the idea of saving more time by building your deal online and coming in and doing the last little bit and getting the test drive done. So there's certainly that. But the biggest mistake that, you know, we see over and over again, and again, this is the, like my view working in with my like blinders on to digital retailing. The biggest mistake that we see is just misunderstanding where buyers are in the shopping journey, right? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like when that person is coming to the website, um, make it really clear that if they're going to go into the process of buying a car online, that that's what they're going to be doing, right? 
or if they just want some quick information around a trade or a payment or something along those lines, um, send them down that path so they can get what they want quickly. And now they're going to respect you more. They're going to trust you more because they have what they want and they've not been dropped into a full-blown appraisal process or a full-blown digital retailing process. Uh, and so if we can and I collectively work together to, to clean that bit up. I think that that helps the initial kick off the digital retailing process. And that's unfortunately really where my expertise on this topic kind of comes to an end, right? Uh, just, because we, were, I don't, we don't touch any of the rest of that stuff. Well, no, because I, I look, I appreciate trade pending and, 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 and a handful of other companies have done is there's the, the intent is an exchange of information. Uh, rather than a lead generation, and in and I've I've talked to many many people in this industry um, about digital retailing. It started off with a great idea, and I hate to say it, but it I, I'm actually going to blame us agencies for screwing this up because whenever we get something that's good and makes sense, we we screw it up. Um, and what we do is we turned it into a lead generation solution. So like the intent behind it. All right, was to take your people and a process and a piece of technology and kind of wrap them in this beautiful candy wrapper. All right, that was going to taste really good to the consumer uh, because it, it allowed them to kind of uh, let's take let's steer steer the process right, but alongside um, a salesperson. And instead, you know, I hate to say it, you know, there's some companies that have done better jobs than others, but then there are some companies that have now been sold and have just, again, it, it's turning into a glorified digital retailing or sorry, a glorified lead generation. I saw the same thing happen back in 2010, 2011 with live chat. You mentioned live chat earlier. Like I, so I was really early on live chat. In fact, I actually had it on my dealership's website in 2007. Um, and it wasn't even an automotive solution at that point in time. Right. But I, I was like, yes, live chat. All right. You know, like a customer is going to go to my website. They're going to hit a button. They're going to connect with one of my guys and they're going to have a meaningful conversation totally. they're going to come into the dealership and extend that meaningful conversation. The sales time process is going to go from three hours to an hour because they had this great back and forth. And then our industry got a hold of it and turn into a lead generation. Dude, I, I'm with you, man. I, marketers ruin everything as well too, right? You get one great idea and you just run to the ground. And I'll, I'll, I'll throw out the challenge here. So uh, if anybody can show to me that like their digital retailing tool converts as well as a, a website conversion product, I'll, I'll chug like a couple PBRs out of this big trophy right here. <laughs> I've seen the stats. I've seen them across hundreds of dealers and it just digital retailing are, are great at that pro at what they're intended to do. Like you said, they're terrible mm -hmm. at lead gen. Well, look, I think a tool is only as good as how well someone uses it. And oh, I know, know that if, if you, if you invest in, if, if you're a dealer out there and you've invested in this tool, but you didn't invest in the process and the people before investing in the tool, you screwed up the whole thing. And that was the challenge with COVID. It was just like, yeah, cram, cram DR down. Like a lot of times there wasn't a choice. Like here's your tool. You have to use it. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, okay, I want to I want I want to kind of step back for a moment uh, because again, uh, I don't I mean step off our soapboxes for a second. All right, let's what we'll do. We'll step off our soap. 
I'm loving our soapboxes. Hey, this is why this is the strategy with Jason. I don't know what But no, no, we will. We'll jump off our soapbox for a sec. Because uh, I wanted to go back because, I, I, like I said, sometimes I go squirrel. And I wanted to get your perspective on something because, you know, uh, you have a different background than automotive. You know, you were in, you know, in, in software, software sales, you know, um, but you never sold cars, you know? So I just, I kind of like to think, you know, like, you know, from, from your experience, you know, what, uh, what skills may be translated over from mm -hmm. one vertical to another, right? Cause I'm, I'm fast. I'm always fascinated by that, right? Like, what did you see get transitioned over from what, what vertical you were with before? Yeah, selling is selling, right? There's definitely some fundamentals. There, there's a ton of nuances to selling cars. And the four years I've spent in the industry, you know, I've been able to pick up a lot of what those nuances are. I'm not saying I'm going out and selling cars anytime soon. I probably wouldn't be very good at it, but I can still sell software pretty well. But, you know, uh, the, the fundamental principle, I think one of the most important things is putting the other person's interests above your own, right? So when you're uh, I, I see this a lot of time, but people try to sell stuff to trade pending today and you'll go through the process and they're trying to cram you into that defined process that their sales management says you have to go through. Well, mm. I buy software different than you buy software different or buy a car or you buy a car or my wife buys a car. So being able to be empathetic to that person and where they're coming from, uh, that's just a universal with selling. That, that's an easy one right off the start. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So now, since I got you on here, there was one thing I was kind of thinking as you were trying to talk, as you were talking there. And then I appreciate the fact that that does kind of transition over. Right. And, and I hate to say it. I think there are ways that our industry um, is in some cases ahead of the curve, but I think unfortunately many very much so behind it. Um, you know, it, it's funny watching right now as inventory levels are starting to pick up and competition's about to kick back in, in certain markets, or it already is actually in certain markets, uh, used car prices are changing very rapidly, um, that, that we're already kind of falling back, unfortunately, to some old, very old habits, you know, and I've seen, you know, like these 12 point sales processes coming back to life. I'm like, no, please don't. Don't do it. Um, but but I, I know we're getting towards the hill of our time. And, and there was one thing I really wanted to pick your brain on because I it's something I've started to notice recently. And again, you know, I'm a stickler for language, right? So when I start to see kind of patterns in different languages, I get curious because I'm always like, why? Right? Okay, so, so, so here's what I've been seeing. I've been seeing trade in range and then single price offer. And I've seen multiple variations of language. I hate to say it. a lot of different variations of language. I, it, yeah, okay. What's better? <laughs> yeah. This is another one of those dumb debates that has been perpetuated or accentuated by us, the vendor community. And I'm the first to admit that I, I did this myself. Right. And, and the reason this is happening, I feel like this is almost like, it's not the strategy with Jason. It's like the blame ourselves with Jason show. Hey, that's cool. Um, but so we had a trade in range product for the first five years. And so, boom, that's the best thing since sliced bread. This is what everybody needs. Of course, if you work for another competitor and we love our competitors, like we're not afraid of great competition and we got some great competitors out there and the single price offers, right? Well, this is the most important. You need a single price offer because that's what consumers want. And you're like, ah, you're going back and forth at it. And then, either because I'm still biased or it actually just makes sense. Yeah. You know, well, we launched a single price offer and a guaranteed offer and you can step back and be like, that is the dumbest argument to be having 
because it's not about what we want. It's what the consumer wants, right? So if a consumer wants something in 10 seconds or five seconds or 10, whatever number of seconds, it doesn't matter. They want something quick. You can get them something really quick with the range. And then the people who want to spend a little bit more time and go down in there and answer more questions, they're motivated. They're self-selecting into that process. You're giving them that option to go further. They want that single price offer. So yeah, you're right. The, the, the debate is dumb. The kind of words are dumb. The answer is like, you, you need both. Okay, there we and, go. I like that. Yeah. And like, again, you can look at me and be like, yeah, he's saying that because they have a product that does both. True, but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm wrong, right? Like, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a consumer experience is what really dictates that. Well, and, and look, okay, and I agree with you. As a consumer um, who is, again, back in market for another vehicle, that's another topic. Um, you know, I, here's the one thing is every time I have been back in market for a vehicle, I've tried my absolute hardest not to pull the Jason Harris card anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, just like, uh, you know, it's because it's so easy just to call call Bob. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Bob. I'll pick it up Tuesday. You know, a good story I can share with you after this. <laughs> and I try my hardest not to do that because I'm always just so, because I need to be in that and I'm in it right now. And and I noticed that. So that's why I had to ask it because I, I get a stickler for these languages. But I do agree with you. The consumer does need to understand that there are kind of two different things. And I think it does. You, you know what it does? I think it brings more transparency to, to, to be able to see, you know, the kind of the, both the range, you know, and the price offer and then, then the guarantee. I mean, I agree. I think it actually brings. They some- both have pros and cons, right? So now, you, know, you were just about to add something about. Yeah. So I just, uh, yeah, I just bought a new car and um, I, like trade pending. Like I'm not going to pretend that like we have the big brand awareness of all the big names, big names, because sure. we don't, but we go in to buy the car. It's, it's for my son. He's turning 16 and I'm like, he's like, all right, my kids are like, are you going to tell me work for trade pending? I'm like, no, I just want to, I just want the experience, like the raw experience. It's so we hop in the car and my kid is wearing the trade pending Miami Vice t-shirt. It's big and obnoxious with trade pending all over it. And I'm just like, oh Lord. But, you know, I was like, all right, we'll just see what happens. Nobody had any idea. Nobody had any idea. <laughs> well, you know what though? And, and that's because they haven't seen one of your videos yet. That's, that's why. I'm going to say, okay. So actually perfect segue. I got one more topic before you get to leave. Uh, because it was one of the reasons we connected yeah. and I actually, I, I admire, like I admire anybody and everybody's just good marketing campaigns, content, just good video. Like, look, I, I think too often as vendors, specifically as vendors from a marketing perspective, we have a tendency to just kind of go, you know, all over them and just like, Hey, here's everything that we do. You know, just like, like, you know, like at the end of car commercial, when they have to shove like six pages of disclaimers into it, I swear that's how most of us vendors decide to do marketing. And you took this very, very fresh approach, which uh, I think really kind of humanized it. And I think that was one of the reasons why we connected. Right. So I'd love to kind of get your thought on. So, well, I guess this, uh, why is that approach different? And uh, why did you guys decide to go down that direction with it? Yeah, so trade pending has always had a, a unique voice, and it's my job here to to amplify that. I'm the I'm the the brand champion. I'm brand champion number one here for the company. So we've always had tongue and cheek humor. Uh, and at the start of this year, you know, we looked around at the competitive landscape. We looked at what we were doing, and it was okay. 
Uh, some people might say it's still just okay right now. Uh, but you're, you're right. Like, so like automotive is not boring. No, it's, it's not. wild. It's freaking crazy. The people who work in it are characters, right? Yes. It's a good time. And yet everything that you see from the vendor side is boring. It's corporate. It's bland. It's, I think the realization came for me was like everyone markets like everyone is in the buying cycle right now. Mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. what, maybe 5% of people are swapping solutions out at any given time. So how do you appeal to those people that are not buying right now? What does that 95% of the market want to see? They do not give a rat's ass about our features and benefits. Mm-hmm. They don't even know who we are. That's true. So we have to go out and build that brand, take that voice that we've already had and amplify it. And so that's why you see us doing things like, you know, Miami Vice t-shirt giveaways and <laughs> And throwing our mascot off a five-story parking deck. It's it's a, it's, like a it's a wobbly bird. It's not a real animal or anything like that. Um, that's why we're hosting the Unreal Awards. Like the you know, give us your craziest trade-in stories. Uh, that is why we're going into dealerships and asking the sales reps, like, what kind of shoes are you wearing? <laughs> right? Because they, they're on their feet all day, right? Yeah, why not? Uh, and so that's. Um, that's been new for us this year and the response has been overwhelmingly positive. So yay. I feel like I'm finally doing something right. Oh, look, I, I find it very, very refreshing. I'm going to admit, I find it very refreshing. It was a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Hey, anybody out there watching and listening, if you haven't seen uh, some of the videos that me and Matthew are talking about, please, you know, go online, uh, look up trade pending on pretty much any social account. You'll be able to find uh, those videos and um, okay. So look, Hey, I know we're towards the tail end of our time. All right. But before I let you go for everybody out there that's watching and listening, who would love to connect with you, Matthew, maybe follow along with your journey, learn more about trade pending. What's the best way to do so? Yeah. The, you can find me on the, the socials. Uh, LinkedIn is probably my most active channel for me personally. And then Matthew at tradepending.com. Doesn't get any easier than that. Awesome. Hey, Matthew, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. I'm sure this is going to be first of probably many to come. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Everyone out there watching, listening, you guys have an amazing day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.